All right, guys, we are uh, moving toward uh, the end in Colossians. And I know you guys were so excited when you saw more than one verse being read today. Um, so, yeah, we're going to jump right in. Uh, if you're new, we, um, we have Bibles being passed out right now. You can raise your hand for those. Uh, again, we want you to continue. If you have a Bible, bring it with you. I have a pen. Make sure you're writing in it, learning how uh, to look and think about the scriptures. Uh, if you look at your program, you open it up, you can write your notes um, in the program. And also we try to um, put our notes up online um, weekly. And then with leadership of some cats like my man Jared, we're trying to think through some next steps and some other things we can do in the future. So, so hopefully we'll um, continue to move on to better help um, equip the body and even those who are outside of our, our clear influence here. So. Um, we're in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 6, um, toward the end. So if you're new here, um, hopefully, even though you have not gotten the whole crux of Colossians, this will even help uh, spur you on to reading that book. Hopefully, this will uh, make the, the gospel clear uh, to you. That's our heart, is every time we are um, talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus, our, our desire is that the gospel will be clear um, and that people will be responding to the true understanding of who Christ is and what that means to their life. So um, even hopefully we, we would propose that in any text we should, should, we should be able to see the remnants of the gospel because um, that's what Jesus does um, to help us know who he is and what he wants us to be about. Uh, we go through books of the Bible. Did I do that? Did I do that? Uh, we go through books of the Bible just to let you know um, because uh, just our, our desire to not try and stack the deck. I know in my flesh I will probably stay with those texts that are easy. We try to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to a whole council of scripture. And so our dream is that before uh, you drop dead or I drop dead, we would be able to go through the whole Bible. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, amen. So sorry it sounded morbid, but we're going to die one day. So I'm hoping we'll be able to go through the Bible before we. So amen. All right, is this a reality, guys? Don't, don't, I'm just a messenger. Don't shoot me. Uh, Colossians 4 is where we're at. Um, we'll start off by uh, making one thing clear um, as we enter into the text, and that is the text begins by letting us know something very plain, uh, very profound, and that is uh, God wants us to pray, all right? So we're going to jump right in, and we'll start off by saying that's the first thing he wants us to know is that God, he wants us uh, to be a praying people. I'm going to go, why don't you just click it? It's not working out. Continue on, please. That's the first thing, right? And I, and I say that because um, sometimes I, I, wrote a doc, I wrote a document uh, discussing, like, how prayer works uh, from Romans 8. And I just I want you to leave uh, this time today saying, man, it is urgent for me to be a prayer, to be a person who seeks Jesus, uh, and for you to feel like that you've learned more, uh, not just, yeah, good Christians pray, but that even there's been more of a theological nuance to why uh, we pray, okay? So I want to jump into it real quick. So what does it mean to pray? Uh, when we talk about prayer, obviously we would say, if you knew, it means that we, we're, we're talking to God, um, and I know that sometimes we talk about hearing God, and I, I get where we're going there, but I would propose that the scriptures, actually, I would say that that might be a little even something else. It seems that the Bible, when usually when the Bible's talking about prayer, uh, the discussion is us talking to the Lord, continue on, uh, asking him for stuff. I'm trying to make it plain uh, so that we don't, a lot of times we can think about prayer and we can think that we don't have uh, maybe the... Uh, the theological prowess. Maybe we don't, we don't pray bibliocentrically enough, and so we think, man, I'm, a, I'm not a good prayer, uh, so I don't know if I should be praying. Uh, and that's why some of us don't even pray in public. You know, we got some people in our, in our, in our mad group who are very nervous about praying. And so we try to encourage them that, you know, if we understand, hey, we're just asking God for stuff. There's no 
no good prayers. Like we're all jacked up prayers, and the Holy Spirit helps all of our prayers to reach a holy God. And when we, when we understand that the leveling field has been laid, uh, right, and, it's on the, and that there's no, there's no hierarchy, I think that helps us have the freedom and the security to be able to just to seek the Lord. Continue on, please. Uh, and, this, and this is um, something that John Piper says I think is a good, the offering up to God of our desires, uh, the sense of like, hey, what? And this is important because uh, do you forget like me sometimes when you, when you have jacked up desires uh, or you want to make sure your desires are totally perfect and whatever that means on this side of heaven um, before you actually seek the Lord? Have you ever felt like that, that you have to make sure that things are holy enough uh, to bring them before Jesus, right? Uh, well, I want to propose to you that, that that's, that's, uh, that's theologically in, irresponsible because that's the whole point of prayer is that we as needy, broken, jacked up people, we just bring honestly who we are to God. And then what God does is he sifts through that stuff. See, that's cool. I don't have to have it together to talk to my father. Okay. So God wants you, your desires, good or bad, and when they're bad, the, what, what the Lord does, you've given the Holy Spirit something to help us, so now the Holy Spirit can actually purify those bad desires and make them good versus you faking it and acting like you don't really believe like that, you know. So you can tell God even the bad stuff, and uh, he'll still love you because that's how good he is. So the question is, why does God delight in our prayers as we look at this passage here? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful and in thanksgiving. Why does God delight in our prayers? I want to say, first and foremost, it models that the main thing we need uh, is him, okay? Uh, see, the, the thing is, what prayer has done is it's almost like um, God allowing his glory to go public, okay? Because what it does, it allows, it allows, it sets up this sense of like you have the askers, and then you have the giver. And usually, in the now, now in our, not in our sense, even though we can try to do this even in our hood, you can try to be a giver and you find yourself in a messianic, you know, conundrum. You shouldn't be there, right? But, but the cool thing about God is he wants it like this. He sets up the world where there's all these askers and then he's a giver. And we'll talk about that in one moment. Continue on. You see this passage here? Uh, Luke 18, that's uh, the passage about the, uh, the, the persistent widow talking to the judge. Uh, Luke 11 uh, is a guy who's, uh, who's knocking on the door for his friend's home and they both these are like prayer passages. You write those down. The point of those passages a lot of times people can think is like that there's that, that, you know, like if you just keep, you know, messing with God, he'll get so frustrated he'll finally answer your prayer, right? That, that's not his point. His point is actually Jesus, God is saying that, that I, I want you to, to, to seek me earnestly, that I love when people are continually saying, I need you, I need you, I need you, because that actually reveals God's glory because it allows him to be a giver. It allows him to show one of his communicable attributes, and that is that he is omni-resourceful. That, he's the, that his resources reach no bottom. He has all the resources, and so he wants us to come to him as the one who's resourceful. And when we do that, we model to him, we remind him that, yeah, I am the one that has everything. And that's why even what happens is when you and I find ourselves being self-dependent, being independent, when we find ourselves trying to do our own thing, we rob God of his glory because we're saying, actually, God, I don't really need you. You're not the only one with the resources. I got resources too. I can do my own thing. You see how that robs, that, that, that speaks to against his character. But what reminds him of himself is when we keep reminding him that you are the one that has the resources and I would like to get them from the one who has the resources. So it speaks to his character. Continue on, please. He's infinitely resourceful, but then he's, willingly, he's willing to give. And that's the beauty of Jesus is that he not only has everything, but he wants to give it to his children. 
And so we rob God of his glory first when we think, no, 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 I can, I can get this some other place. I can, and, and, and actually, I don't know if I want to ask you because you don't seem like a giver. I don't think you're going to bless me, so I'd rather not ask you. Have you ever done that with relationships sometimes? You have that person in your life, you have a couple of friends, you know, and, and some friends, man, you just, you know, you beat down their door because they're always, they're just they're caring, they're giving. Uh, you know they're not going to make you feel guilty, right? And there's some people, you kind of like, you just don't want to ask them for anything because when you ask them, you get the guilt trip. You know, you get the, you get the, you know, two-minute discussion of why you're asking. You know, they give it to you, but they give you three minutes of why they shouldn't have given it to you. All right, man, but I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to, okay, okay. And you're like, man, why do I even ask this, brother? And so we can see Jesus uh, like that Lord who's kind of like, well, I don't really want to do this, but you're making me. Or I don't really, oh, okay, here you go again, asking me again the same thing. Didn't I tell you no once? But see, the character of God is that he is all resourceful and he wants to bless us. He wants to give to us. What's cool about that is when he doesn't give to us, we shouldn't take it personal because of who his character is. You see that? So when he says no, it's not because he doesn't want to give to you. That's the beauty of it. It should, it should, it should allow us to rest that I'm going to get what the Lord wants to give me because he wants to give to me because he wants to bless his kid. But when he doesn't, it's because he must know I don't really need that. So we shouldn't get frustrated. We make it personal. God is jacked up because he didn't give me this. And we point to his character, and then we don't ask, and then we live unassisted Christian lives because we're not being led by the Spirit. We're not allowing the Spirit to help our prayers. The result, when we do realize who he is and his character, again, remember, everything points toward Jesus and the gospel. Like, we pray because of what the gospel shares, and that is that, man, every time we seek the Lord, when we're here and we're praying for each other, we're saying, I can't do it. My counseling skills won't help. We need Jesus. And so we say he's infinitely resourceful. When we say he's willing to give, what happens is the result is we enjoy, right? We get blessed. We get to enjoy Jesus. And then his glory is revealed to all those around in that proximity of that prayer, um, that prayer situation. Who's ever seen it? Who's watching it? They go, oh, okay. Wow, their God is that kind of guy? Okay. So everyone wins. Creation and the one who created creation. Continue on. All right, so that's just, uh, that, just kind of like the beginning of just getting us on the same page of prayer, all right? All right, now we're on the same page of what, what God is doing, one of the things he's doing, and you, can, and you have access to that if you was to go to the discipleshipdefined.com website and get that resource on prayer or in your discipleship binder, which I think even continues to give us more nuances of what happens spiritually when we pray. But hopefully that just whets your appetite theologically. Why, in our study of God, why does God want us to pray? Now, let's talk about the three ways he wants us to pray in this passage, okay? Now, he's just got done talking from the perspective of, of servants, uh, slaves. He's, you know, he, but, and so what you can think is he's talking specifically to them. I don't think so. I think now he's given, he's, he's talked about servants and slaves. He's talked about being a good husband, being a good daddy. And now he's talking about in general, I think he's, there's two frameworks. He's saying, look, I'm at the end of this letter right now, and I just want to give you guys sort of a, a bookend, because if you remember in the beginning of the letter, how does it start? Prayer and thanksgiving. And I think right now he's ending it like, hey, let's remember what we need to be about, okay? And he's now coming from the perspective of evangelism, 
being on mission, which is very interesting toward the end of the letter. Let's talk about being on mission. I'm in prison, but I want to be on mission, and I want you to make sure that we're developing what's very important, and that is a healthy, dynamic, robust prayer life, and it's finding itself in these ways. First, continue steadfastly in prayer, all people, not just the maiden servants and the slaves, but the people of God. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Three ways he wants us to pray. First, steadfastly, watchful, and I'll pause right there. Now, let's start, let's start with steadfastly. Okay. The word steadfast, devoted, uh, the sense of consistent, uh, being intentional. Uh, Jesus is saying that when, when, when he's asking us to pray, if that's the case, if God takes our prayers and makes them powerful, if he's showing us this is extremely important, he's saying when you're praying, you need to be steadfast. You need to be immovable. There needs to be a sense of consistency. That means it shouldn't be flippant, okay? It shouldn't be casual, okay? It should be, you should be having a, a time. You should know when you want to pray, and it should be consistent, You should have a continual rhythm of seeking the Father, okay? A sense of devotion. Now, we have opportunities. um, You know, we we have the Joel opportunity. Uh, We are wanting to continue to think of ways where we can find ourselves being steadfast in prayer. Now, I propose uh, some of the reasons why we probably aren't steadfast, and I think this is just practical now, is because we don't designate a time and a place, of when we're going to seek the Lord daily. Like, does, do we have that? When you wake up, you say, this is the time where I'm going to spend a lot of time in prayer, and this is the place. I also propose that then we don't have a plan. We don't have, like, what are we going to pray about? So you go, and you want to pray, and then what happens is when you don't have a plan sometimes, you can find yourself with those, those, those kind of... Um, those prayers that Jesus kind of rebuked, where they become like the same thing, the repetitious prayers, and, there's, and you lose content because it's not dynamic. Because you haven't spent time understanding and asking the Lord, what should you be praying for so that it will flow from a life lived? So I'm going to propose practically, ask the Lord, what does it look like for you to have a place, a time, and what are the subjects? What are you praying for? When you get up in the morning, is it at night? He also tells us to be watchful, right? Keep an alert. And he says, in it. So, so I think this is also be watchful, like uh, about being a prayer, but also while in prayer, make sure you're watchful. I love the sense of in it, while you're in it. Now, why does he say that? Because you know how it is when you pray. You start praying, you start thinking of the Oreo cookie, Right? You start getting caught up in all kind of weird stuff. You know, you start thinking of sin sin patterns. And so he's saying you need to be watchful in prayer. Watchful in it. It's a picture of of the Old Testament, uh, the the watchman. Okay, it's a picture of the guy who who, who was out like outside the camp. He was standing on the hill and he was watching out to see if anyone would come and infiltrate um, to try and take over the land of the people. And so he was the guy. He was a guy who had to, who stand there, and watchful is also a sense of, it reminds me of in, 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 the, in the gospel when Jesus says, what does he say? He says, I want you to be watchful and pray, right? He tells him, don't fall asleep to the disciples. It's the same, kind of, the same kind of mindset. He's like, don't sleep on this. Be watchful. 
And it's a sense of a guy, the guy is coming, that this, if this man is asleep, if he's not there watching, then guess what? Those people will be taken over. It's that kind of mindset, that when you and I are praying, we're to be steadfast, we're to be watchful in prayer. Continues on. He says, with, with thanksgiving. And I uh, talked about this a while ago, um, just the whole concept of, of, of thanksgiving and gratitude and how, like, gratitude, what that does is that sort of, like, that, that, that sort of, like, completes the circle of worship. Right? We seek the Lord, and then when we thank the Lord, we tell the Lord that what he did was good. And so he's saying, and with thanksgiving. Now, I propose thanksgiving in two ways. In this passage here, it has an evangelistic bent. So I, I'm proposing that he's talking here specifically in two ways of being thankful, of what God has done, so basically in history, and maybe even specifically in their specific testimony, uh, in the sense of what God has done, be thankful, because I'm asking you to go and be about, be a kingdom proclaimer. But first, be thankful as you're praying. Be thankful what God has done and what God is going to do. As we continue on in the text, I want you to, I want you to see that. I want you to fact check me there, because I think he's focusing in on a specific aspect of thankfulness. And that's the that's aspect of thankfulness that comes through missional giving and living. That as we are on mission, what does it look like for people to be passionate and consistent and continually on mission is when they have a thankful heart and they remember what God has done in their life. And that is almost a catalyst and some fuel for what God is going to do in other people's lives. Which makes sense practically. When you think about it, I, I talk to people and when you see people who really have, don't really get what God has done in their life, it's hard for them to be evangelistic. It's hard to be missional when you aren't convinced that God is good in your own life. What you going to tell? What you going to say? Continue on, please. So three ways he wants to do us practically. I mean, he wants us to pray. This is how he wants us to do it, do it practically. Designated time and place. Have a focus. Um, I, said, I said a list here. Like for me, I have what I do is I do two things. I can pray through the Bible Right? So if you don't have a list, just, just reading the scriptures and just praying God's character and what he's about and who he is. And knowing like, God, until you continually teach me, I'll just keep talking about who you are. And letting God just work. See, that's the thing. It's like there's no pressure. He's already done it all. So I don't have to get my prayer right. I just want to spend time with the Lord. Well, let me say it a different way. God just wants you to spend time with him. That's the goal. And what God does is he takes the groanings and he knows things that you don't even know that you need. That's Romans 8. He just wants to spend time with him. I have a list, though, right? And so my list is I, I, when, I, when I get up, I, I honor the Lord. I like to, I like to talk about Jesus, right? Then I, then, I, then I work through and I ask the Holy Spirit to start revealing sin in my life and areas of my life that I need to be repentant of, things I need to get right. So I spend time just adoring Jesus. And I pray about, like, Lord, what, what's going on in my life? Right? Then I pray for my own, I pray for myself. Right? You're like, man, you, you really high up on the list. Yeah. I pray for myself. Right? Because the thing is, if I'm, not going, if, I, if, if I'm not right, then how am I going to be good to all the other people I'm praying for? So I ask the Lord to be doing some stuff in my heart. Lord, be working in me. Give me a passion for your glory. Use me mightily. So I'm asking God to do some stuff in my life. Then I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. It would seek the Lord, right? Pray for our staff team. Pray for these guys individually. 
Pray for their wives and their kids. Pray for one of my homies to get a little honey dip. You know? And then I move on. Yeah. I love saying that because then Betty always goes, what do he say? What's a honey dip? Girlfriend. So, um, I love that. Amen. So, I, then I, but then I move on. I pray for the guys I'm discipling. Ask the Lord to just continue to not only do, for a while I was asking him to do this individual work, me and them, and now I'm just realizing there's, there's something very weird and messianic about that. I'm praying more about what God's going to do with that group, how he's going to use that group together, um, even outside of my influence, right? And I move on and I pray actually for the body. And I pray for you guys, asking the Lord to bless this body. Then, as, I, as I'm done with praying for the covenant community, then I actually move toward evangelism. Then I ask for God to do something in the community. And ask yourself, like, what's your prayer? What's your sequence? What are you, like, what's your priority? I propose, even if you're, if you're praying, if you're all unbeliever, unbeliever, and you're not praying for your leaders and the body here, I think you've got to skew it a little bit theologically. God cares about the family of God actually first before even that unbeliever. That sounds kind of um, bad, but, I, but it's theologically accurate. He wants a family type. Okay, so any questions? Oh, if you are new here, you can ask questions. Please, please feel free to do that. Let's continue on, guys. Uh, he says, uh, at the same time, pray also for us, right? Um, he says that God may open uh, to us a door for the world, uh, for the word. So now, now what are you to pray? Is the question. All right? So he said he wants us to pray. He gives us those things. Continue on, please. He prays a couple of things. First, he prays uh, for an open door for the word. All right? So this is, this is uh, I love this. I love this passage here. So here, here is Paul praying for an open door for the word. Now, where is Paul? Okay. Let's just keep that in your mind. Okay? He's in prison. Continue on, please. He prays for an open door for the word. Then he prays for a clear and powerful word to go through the door. You see that? That God may open to us a door for the world, a word to declare the mystery of Christ. Okay? So he's praying for the door to be open, and he, it is not enough just to have the door open, right? But that the word will go through it. And I love this sense. So he's asking, and you can look at these passages here, which kind of are cousin uh, to what he's saying here. And I love this sense of, of God sharing with us. Like, first and foremost, have you seen that practically? You know you have, right? You, you, you're talking to someone, and it just seems like nothing is getting through, okay? And, and what we do and what we've had many arguments about as a covenant community is when things are getting through, the first thing we do is we blame each other, all right? And we blame the method. Right? And we don't, we don't build a passionate heart to pray for God to do something supernaturally. And it seemed to me that the biblical model is not to first call out a person and say, only if you would be nicer, only if you would be kinder, only if you would say it the way I say it, people would come to Jesus. It seems that Paul's disposition is, I'm in prison, so obviously it don't matter sometimes the way you say things, and here I am in jail. All right? You think a brother want to be in jail? You think he would have said it differently if he'd known that this would have got him out of jail? You think, you think the greatest theologian in all the New Testament, in all the first century, just didn't know how to preach? He didn't have the theological prowess to understand how to say things? This is Paul. He's written 13 letters in the New Testament, and he is in prison. Did he just not get it right? Absolutely, of course not. That's not the issue. 
he understands that wherever he's at, he has to have this disposition of praying for God to open up the doors because we can't open up those doors. If there's one thing that I am begging as one of your leaders in this body, in this community, is would you understand you cannot bring people to faith? It is not about how cool you are and what you do and how many people you have on your house for dinner. It is absolutely so arrogant for you to think that. Jesus has to open the door. I have seen so many times in my 16 years of full-time Christian ministry of me and some other guy or girl have their theology on lock. They can share the scriptures, and they are cheering and and doing all this stuff, and somebody will come along. And I love this. I love when new believers get saved in our local body, and I love when new people come to our local body because then they go, and they go up to the same person, and their theology is jacked up, and they don't know how to talk to people, and their head's down, and the people come to Jesus. Happens all the time. When I was at Miami University, that was our big joke. I love taking new believers with me to share my faith. Because there were people come to Christ. It was the weirdest thing. I think it was God practically trying to implant this theological principle in my heart. That Eric is not about you. It's about God being gracious. You plant, he provides a fruit. Please stop the madness of thinking, just having a prideful arrogance of thinking you're actually bringing God's kingdom in this community by your works. It's not happening, guys. We got to have a humble disposition. He prays, a door will be opened, a clear profitable door. And notice this, you must have both in tandem for the gospel infiltration. If you have the door open, but you are scared to open your mouth, still nothing happens. If all you got is gospel and God, and you're not praying and, you, and you're, you're all into yourself, nothing happens. The scriptures are teaching that in tandem, you have to have the door open and we need to have courage to walk through the door. <coughs> you see that, guys? So that's so important because when we're in this community, the question is, like, do we have that courage Are we saying, Lord, give me those gospel opportunities? Let's continue on. We're going to see more of this as we continue on. Please. He continues on in verse 5. He says, now, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Can you go back to make sure we keep the the, the flow of thought here? Go back to the the, the last verse. No, 3 and 4. So he says, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Okay, I love that. I love that he's saying, hey, I want to do this on account of which I'm in a prison. So the gospel, this is what I'm trying to make clear, what I want to have the door open, it's the very gospel that got me put in prison. I love this mindset of the, the extreme, like, release of the pragmatism. He's like, man, if, if the, the very right thing I'm doing got me in jail, and I'm asking, let me still do it, that I may make it clear. Which is how I ought to speak. I love that, I love that little clause there is that we should never be uh, unclear about the gospel. This sense of you ought to be, we ought to be speaking like this. It needs to be clear. People should understand clearly what you mean when, they, when you talk about you're a Christian, your hope is in Christ, you walk with the Lord, all these, all these jargons. We should be able to make it clear what the good news is. Why? It's all of our eggs. Everything of we are, who we are is in this Jesus basket. He's saying, I want to make that clear. Pray for that. Continue on now, please. Walk in wisdom toward, pray that walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. 
Look at that. And he says, uh, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here we are in our community. Here's some clear observations that I just want to make before we go into the text. So Paul moves, what he does, I would propose from verses 2 to 4, um, and now from 5 to 6, he moves from 2 to 4 from indirect battle to verse 5 and 6 to a direct battle. Okay, because before he was just talking in generalities of prayer and the word and kingdom, like like kingdom infiltration. And okay, here's the the gospel is going to go forth and it's going to do some stuff. Now, in verses five and six, he's talking specifically about directly what would it look like for him on on the ground to be moving forward in Christ. You see that? You see the difference? So now he's saying, hey, but then I want us to walk in wisdom toward toward outsiders. He also moves in another way. Continue on. Paul moves also, I propose, from his own evangelism, which was kind of 30,000 feet and what he was talking about theologically, uh, to their evangelism in verse 5 and 6. So he says, pray for me. Door may be open for me. I may proclaim the gospel kind of here. Now he's saying specifically, let's talk about what it looks like for you to proclaim the gospel. You see that? Those are just some observations. Continue on. So let's start with this word wisdom. He says, you know, that, that I would do this in wisdom, right? So what is wisdom? You know, we talk about wisdom a lot in this body, so we, I shouldn't even have to put this up. But it's wise and skillful living, okay? We've talked about this. Don't, don't, we're, I'm expecting us to get this, to have it deep in our bosom, okay? So if you don't have that conviction, let's build it today. Wisdom is wise and skillful living, okay? It is the application of, of knowledge and understanding, Okay, we, we talked about that. You can be smart, you can understand stuff, and you can still not be wise because you haven't applied it. You can still be a fool with information. Okay? Uh, that's Proverbs. We'll be going to Proverbs to be our next book, so we're going to be talking about that forever, all right? And we're going to be wise people because of it. What is the goal of wisdom here in this passage, okay? The goal specifically in this passage, as he's talking to these guys, the wisdom that he wants and the goal for it is for people to become Christians, Okay, we're still on the same page. So he's like, I want you to be wise so people will leave the family of Satan and become part of the family of God. Okay, Proverbs 11 talks about that the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, um, and the one who is wise saves lives. Okay, uh, so, you know, some, some versions say, a wise man win of souls. You know, y'all like that one, that historical one, right? So, so that's the same, uh, Proverbs 11.30, okay? Uh, so, so now how do you accomplish the goal that he's setting forth, okay? I'm proposing you accomplish the goal uh, by doing these things. First, living so as not to bring reproach uh, upon the church, okay? So I'm just saying pragmatically. He's saying, hey, let's make sure we're being wise toward outsiders. How are you wise toward outsiders in this manner? I'm proposing first he's saying, hey, we do stuff where we don't bring reproach upon the church. Not talking about you can't have a beer or any of that stuff. I'm talking about you being, like I'm talking about, you, when you look at scripture, it's more of the character issues, uh, being lazy, uh, things where people go, huh, so that, that you, follow, you follow Jesus, right? And you act like that, right? Being unkind, demodeling the graces of the spirit. You know, we were, we were, at, a, uh, another, we were at a church doing some things, and uh, one of our pastors was like, man, we were talking with this guy, and man, the brother just seems so angry. And I was watching um, some of our other workers, we were, we were doing some dealings with them, and it was, and I'm just keeping it real, like in our neighbor, in our, in our neighborhood, it's kind of almost accepted for the man of God, for the, for the lead people to kind of be super stoic, and I'm cool with personality, but to, but to almost kind of be okay, unkind. Like it's kind of okay for the leader to kind of be like, this is what I got to do, 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 
And we just kind of think that's cool in our community. Well, it's not. We still, I don't care what our personality is, we still need to be kind because there might be unbelievers or people who don't experience and know the glory of God and haven't experienced Jesus, and you're the Jesus they're getting. All right? And they're getting a grumpy, you know, entitled, mean dude or girl. And that's not the gospel. Okay? Um, so we see in, Col- in Colossians 3.16, which you see we, we went back to last week, and I'm coming back to it again because I'm proposing that that's Paul's door hinge of us being filled with the Spirit. He's saying, look, so you want to make sure that you're being wise? Go back to um, verse 16 and make sure that the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. Make sure that you're asking the Lord, like, what does it mean for me to apply your scriptures to me? What does it look like for me to be in community and have the word just dwelling richly within me? Because when that happens, when we're actually applying wisdom, I mean, understanding and knowledge, what happens is we become wise, and then we don't bring reproach upon the church. Continue on, please. So that's wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that they're, they're learning the gospel through our interaction, right? In our, as we neighbor here, as we are at MacAv and we're neighboring, people are getting a glimpse of the gospel in so many ways. They're getting it through the unity and diversity in our body. People don't know what to do with us. We, got, we have white folks, black folks. We got Asians. We got Hispanics. We got all these different people. We got Mexicans. You know, they don't know what to do with that. But what's cool is that's a beautiful gospel expression. Okay, these individuals loving and, and serving together. Beautiful gospel expression. See, all these things are, are, are gracious ways that the Lord has allowed us to model a gospel, to be wise even around unbelievers. The way we, the way we do life, the way you guys are caring for each other, uh, when people come and see us caring for people who got babies and seeing individuals sick and seeing people who are struggling with stuff, and they're seeing all this stuff, and they're seeing people be in each other's homes, and, and they're watching all this, people are watching you. And they're getting the gospel as they watch. But look what he says here. Now, don't miss this. He says, like, I love this. Walking wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Right? Let's talk through this a little bit. Making the best use of the time. This is very important. I want you to put this on the side of your Bible in that, in that little area or something. This is what this word, this, this, I don't do this often. I'll look at Greek and stuff, and then I won't, I'll just talk about the meaning. But I want to share this here. So trying to accomplish as much kingdom good as you can in a relationship, I propose is kind of what I think making the best use of the time is. If I was just theologically say, what does that mean? Okay, like how are you, when you look at relationships and people you're dealing with, how are you, are you a kingdom Caesar? Are you saying, I got this scenario right now. How much kingdom advancement can I do with the time I have right here in this time and space? Do you, do, are you that strategic with your time? Because I'm proposing, that's what Paul's saying, and obviously the brother got a more high ground to stand, stand on because he's in prison. Talking about, not all oh, men pray for me that they give me a really cool blanket or, man, can you send me a pack of cigarettes? None of that, right? He says, pray that I can share the gospel, right? Okay, so look at this. So if that's, the, that's kind of, can we stick with that definition? We're all in agreement there. Trying to accomplish as much kingdom good as you can in a relationship because it's going to look different. So you can't, don't kill yourself. It's going to look different, right? And some of us are really good at this. I won't put you on blast. Now, what does he mean, understanding time? Let's talk about understanding time. So there's like, there's time as in like it's 242 or something, right? There's, there's, um, there's time like as in a sense of occurrence, like this is the, it's this time. And then there's kairos, there's this kind of time. 
All right? Very important. Because when the scripture talks about this time, it's the, 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 the clear definition or the, the translation is appointed time. All right? And appointed time is different than just your casual occurrence time. All right? Like do this at this time. Because it's talking about the concept of destiny. You, you, you hear me there? So he's talking, so, so to say that, the, making the best use of the time, I would propose is he's saying seizing an appointed opportunity. Appointed opportunity that basically before the foundations of the world, Jesus said, I'm going to give you this time right here, boom. Now, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Because he's saying, what I want you to do is seize them. I want you to purchase them. I want you to buy them up. It's a sense of like when you're going out, when God puts you next to somebody on the airplane, like that's a kairos, that's, a, that's, a, a, that's a, an opportune time that you wouldn't have had any other time. It's, it's right there. It's an opportunity. And God says, will you purchase it? Will you, will you, will you, will you seize it for that moment? When you're, when you're walking with someone and someone just happens to come to your house and, and they need something from you, do you, do you take that time and say, I'm going to seize it for the gospel? He's saying, I want you to walk around as believers, and I want you to be looking for opportunities to buy them, to seize them, and to see them all as, as, as destined times. The question is, do we look at our time like that? I mean, this is what we're talking about a lot in MacF. I mean, one second, we talk about this. Like someone comes, and they, they make your time inconvenient, but they need you. They come and ask you for something. They, you know, uh, and, and this happens. And, and don't you love it, though? Because every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will guide you, right, where, where he'll give you that freedom, and every once in a while, you'll get that impression, like, I need to do this. And you'll even think in your mind, Lord, I know I got all this stuff to do, but I'm going to try and practically trust you with this. And don't, at the end of that, don't you just love Jesus? At the end of that, you go, Lord, thanks for letting me be faithful. Thanks for letting me intentionally trust you for this time. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, you just, you just sense the glory of Jesus and that the Holy Spirit was like, I just gave you the grace to say, I'm going to be faithful, even though I got all this other stuff. And I might bless you and allow you to get those things done quicker. I might not, but you knew that you intentionally paused in your day for Christ. He's asking you to purchase it. He's asking us to have a theme as a body in this community, purchasing time, purchasing it for people. When you see those opportunities, he says, will you buy it? Yes, sis.
Amen. And I want to encourage you too, like, yeah, like you said, like the reality is there is us being intentional. But what's cool about this concept is the Lord is saying he's more intentional than us. And will we recognize Christ's intentionality? He's, he's, he's saying that there's throughout the day, there's all these opportunities for us to redeem the time, to purchase it back for kingdom, for kingdom purposes. And will we see it? Will we, will we seize it? That's the question. Or will you just go on and will we just with foolishness think that life is just about making a grade, passing your test, you're just walking past all these opportunities and you're getting your stuff done and you're not buying it. Some people in your office, do you, do, you, do you seize it? Do you seize that opportunity? People come to your home. When you're out in the neighborhood, thinking of your neighbors, think of those times. Ask the Lord. Ask, ask the Lord to give you the grace to be reminded to seize those opportunities, those appointed times, okay? Continue on, please. He ends up by uh, saying, uh, this, I, I propose here, there's kind of three ways that he wants us to steward our time. Now, you can say, I would say, you know, making the best use of the time shows itself by walking in wisdom toward outsiders, right? And then your grace, uh, uh, your speech being gracious and seasoned with salt. Continue on, just go ahead through them. Walking in wisdom toward outsiders. Continue on, please. Salty speech toward outsiders. So we talked in wisdom what that looks like. And then salty speech toward, out, continue on, please. Go back, please. You got like a little, a little excited there, brother. <laughs> Thank you. Salty speech toward outsiders. Um, I, I love this concept of salty speech uh, toward outsiders in the sense that, you know, the only thing I can really do, I mean, when I think of that, is just think of a meal. It's like, do people, are people leaving? When you, you know, outsiders, those who don't know Jesus, when people are with you, do they leave feeling like, man, they just tasted something that makes them go, hmm. Oh, okay. Well, I never, I didn't, I didn't think of that. When you're with, when you're with unbelievers, are you able? To, is the Holy Spirit allowing you to seize the moment and provide such insight and, and, and courage? It takes courage because to make them change and, and have to think of their taste buds means that there has to be some intentionality of gospel influence. Okay, so is there something happening in your journey where we are providing gospel insight where people are going, huh? That's that's interesting. What? Hmm. Interesting taste. That's what it reminds me of. The sense of salty speech toward, like seasoning. That, and, and I love the seasoning piece because it goes in line with personal focus. I love the sense because like, so salty speech, but you don't, but some people like salt more than others, right? Some people like the stuff really salty where you can just bust them up. Boom, boom. And they're like, yeah, give me more gospel. Ah, you know? And then some people need a little you know, a little less intensity. And I love the sense of, uh, I say personal focus, because I love he says, uh, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And the sense of like spiritual agility uh, as we are having our evangelistic posture in our community is extremely important, uh, that we're able to have this, this understanding of how to come at people. But I love that the sense is, but that we are, going to people, and that there is a posture of us saying we're prayed up, and now we're going to go forth, and we're going to make Christ known, seizing those opportunities, asking God for wisdom, asking God for, in, for the speech to actually mean something to people, and for us to have the wisdom to look at each person and see what they need. And I love that he's asking all this in prison, 
um, as he could be talking about so many other things, but he wants the glory of God uh, to be clear. That's what's cool. Continue on. So in a nutshell, uh, indicatives are, are facts, imperatives are commands. And I will propose the reason behind these indicatives and these commands all lead back to Jesus. Uh, that all of this is about uh, Christ being our king. And if he's our Lord, if he's done what he said he's going to do, uh, if he's down on the cross, he rose from the dead, he, he took our sin, he gives us new life, he, 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 he makes us new creation, and he makes us his missionaries. He says, now go proclaim that good news that has actually happened in you to the world so that the whole world may experience that same worship. They may, I mean, just being able to offer worship to me like you can now. If that's happening in our lives, right, he's saying, this is how I want to equip you. I want you to be enjoying Christ, and I want you to be giving rooms for others to enjoy Jesus. That's our posture, right? That we are, we are here today because we're wanting to learn how do we enjoy Christ more? How do we continue to make sure that we take away the lies and we replace them with truth and we experience grace motivation, but not just that in our community. We're asking the Lord, what does it look like for us to help other people actually enjoy Jesus too? And that that's, seems to be Paul's point, Paul's disposition, is this is how we can do that. This is how we can be enjoying Jesus, and this is how we can be helping other people to enjoy Jesus as well. Being individuals who are prayerful, who are thankful, who are seeking Christ and enjoying Christ, and then who are now like looking at individuals and being wise toward those who don't know Jesus, right? We're individuals who are understanding how to season our speech. We're individuals who are seizing these opportunities in Christ, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to open up that door, and then we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us courage to walk through that door. That is what we want to be about in our community. So when you think of why are we doing discipleship, when you think of... um, you know, why, why are we asking the Lord to multiply our mat groups? Why are we trying to share our faith? It's for this reason. It's not for us to get bigger. It's for God to be worshipped more. Okay? And so to keep that before you, ask the Lord, have you thought through your three or four people? Who are you praying for? Have you thought through that? That's what we said we're going to be about, right? Have you been prayerful about that? Are those people on your refrigerator? Are those people, are you, are you dialoguing with your neighbors? Are you showing them Christ? Ask the Lord, like, what does it look like for, for you to be out seizing those opportunities, praying for the gospel to be going forth so we might see a multiplication of mad groups? I love the fact that the greatest theologian in all of history says, and pray for me. I love that. Are you praying for your leadership? I'm begging you to pray for me. You know, you, you come here and you, you're asking, you know, did I bring it? I'm asking, did you bring it? You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to be seeking the Lord and praying for us to be filled with the Spirit and walking with Christ so that we can lead you on um, the way that you deserve to be led in Jesus. And let's be a prayerful people asking God to do what we can't do in ourselves. Okay, guys? With that said, um, think about it. Um, we're going to um, spend time in tithe and offering. And uh, here's, what, here's the, the ground rules there. Um, if you are uh, new here, keep your wallets and your purses to your side. Uh, we say it every week because we just don't want people to feel like that's what our goal is here. We don't, you know, do some kind of performance and then you tip us at the end. That's not what this is about. This is about worship. And so we have worshiped the Lord through song. We worship the Lord by sending our kids. We worship the Lord by training. We worship the Lord by giving back to him because he's our king. And so uh, if you get that, obviously Mac Average, you get it. Um, and so worship your king. If you get that and you're a visitor, worship Christ, but don't do this out of compulsion, okay, guys? Um, we'll take time and offering. We'll sing out. Uh, we'll enjoy Christ together. And um, 
and I'll pray for us, okay? So let me pray for us right now as far as with the tithing offerings.